We're going to, next time, we're going to look at uh, how slaves ought to treat their masters. Paul's taking a little bit of an aside here to give some specific instructions to Timothy, just for his own good. Uh, and the key verse to today's section, if you want to look at it, is uh, verse 21. Uh, so I'll read our passage. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll get to looking at it. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. He says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine oft infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. Let's have a word of prayer here this morning. Lord, I thank you for this very personal instructions from Paul to Timothy here today doesn't really seem to fit at first glance with what we've been looking at. But Paul's watching out for, for Timothy. Show us what you'd have as we get looking through this. and Help us to be a little bit more personal and a little, little bit more involved in each other's lives, just as Paul was. Guide us this day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I say, uh, verse 21 is kind of our key verse here today. And Paul starts right off. He says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Right off the bat, he starts off with, I charge thee. Now we've seen that word several times uh, so far. You only, we've only seen it as I charge thee, King James English. It's actually a different word here. Uh, it's diamartinomai. Sorry, that's very hard to say. It's very, very strong language. And Paul only uses this language three other places. He uses it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 6. He uses it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, you wouldn't realize that he's using a different phrase here if you're, all you're reading is English. Because, uh, oh, I charge thee, I charge thee, I charge thee. We see Paul say, I charge thee all the time. But this is a very stern charge. This is a very solemn command Timothy's giving specifically, or Paul's giving specifically to Timothy, trying to rally Timothy. He's trying to urge him onward in this task that he's got. See, Timothy had his own needs and his own challenges as well. Anybody here have any needs, any challenges? Uh, I mean, we all do, right? We all do. Well, Timothy was no different than you or I. And Paul realizes this. And he's trying to encourage Timothy. And he's given him a very special, very specific, very personal address here before he moves on to discuss slaves, how slaves ought to respect their masters. We're going to get there, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. But... Uh, 
before we get there, he takes a little aside and he tries to encourage Timothy a little bit. But notice that this charge, this very solemn charge, is before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. That right there gives us a real sense of the gravity of the situation, doesn't it? This charge is pretty much before the entire heavenly host. Everybody in heaven, Paul's making this charge before. The elect angels, those are the ones that uh, serve God, uh, as distinct from the ones who rebelled with Satan, that you can read about in Jude chapter 6, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, there were angels that separated, they served Satan. Those are not the elect angels. The elect angels are just the ones that are still serving God. Uh, some people make a special designation, the elect angels. They're a special group of angels. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, usually, when the hosts of elect angels are mentioned, it's in the context of Christ's return and final judgment. And I don't think this passage is any different. I think Paul's making this statement, believing that the time's coming short. I'm speculating a little bit, but I believe that's the case. Uh, and it's certainly the case for you and I today. Here we are 2,000 years later. Uh, we're certainly closer to the end than, than Paul was even. But regardless, when Paul says before, he, do, he gives this charge before God and uh, the Lord Jesus and the elect angels, that word before literally means in the sight of. In the sight of. It's enopion in the Greek. It's a pretty common word. It's used 94 times in the New Testament. It's used 17 times by Paul. Pretty common word, in the sight of. We're going to see Paul use it again uh, when we get to 1 Timothy 6 and verse 13. He says, I give thee charge in the sight of God. Same, same thing. Uh, he uses it in 2 Timothy chapter 2.14, and he uses uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 1. So when Paul's writing this way, he's emphasizing that both he in writing it and Timothy in reading it are doing so in the presence of God Almighty and all the heavenly host. And did you know that that's true of everything you and I do too? Everything you and I do is before, in the sight of, God and all the elect angels. That's kind of sobering, isn't it? That's a sobering thought. That ought to make us rethink some of the things we do in life, hadn't it? See, Paul's reminding him, reminding Timothy, that this charge that he's giving is not something to be taken lightly. So, in giving this solemn charge, Paul has a twofold aim. He's, he's trying to accomplish a couple of things here. The first is that uh, he's hoping that Timothy will observe these things without preferring one before another. So what are these things? He talks about these things. What are these things? Well, Paul's referring back to the things that we've started discussing at the beginning of this section about the treatment of widows and elders uh, within the church. Timothy needs to stick to those instructions that Paul has given so far, what we've looked at for the last quite a few weeks. No matter how touchy the situation might be, Timothy, you've got to pay attention to these things. 
See, Paul hasn't given these instructions to Timothy for Timothy to pick and choose which ones he wants to do and which ones he wants to say. Paul is trusting Timothy to follow this completely. By the way, he's also entrusting you and I to follow those instructions completely as well. Notice that these instructions are to be kept without preferring one before another. That's a Greek phrase. It's a very specific Greek phrase. I'm not going to try and uh, translate it for you. It describes a courtroom situation in which the case has already been decided based on personal prejudice. See, justice is supposed to be blind. And that goes for the church as well as the secular courtroom. God doesn't allow any partiality. God doesn't show any partiality himself, and God doesn't allow partiality, and neither should Timothy. James warns against showing partiality uh, in matters of the faith. Let's go over to James chapter 2 and verse 1. James is always full of a lot of very good practical stuff. James chapter 2 and verse number 1. He says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. And he goes on to explain exactly what he means by that. When we're dealing with the things of the faith, the things that we're teaching right here and right now, we can't do it with any kind of sense of partiality. See, Paul wants Timothy to be circumspect rather than setting himself up as the final arbiter of justice. Timothy's got to pay attention. It's God and his counsel that should guide our judgment, not our personal preferences. Or even our uh, political preferences. That brings things right home, especially today, doesn't it? I mean, in my lifetime, I don't think I've ever seen a nation so div adamantly divided over every kind of piddly thing you can imagine. And most of it comes back to political viewpoints. Same thing in the church, too. Watch out. But Paul gives a second charge, too. Uh, and it's very closely related to what we've just looked at. He says, do nothing by partiality. That sounds like the same thing, doesn't it? But in ancient Rome, and lately in America today, the legal system favored the wealthy and the powerful. Uh, Believe it or not, it was the same in Rome as it is today. Uh, and God's law makes no allowances for that. Let's have a little history lesson. Ephesus was a very important city in the Roman Empire in the first century. Very important city. Major city. But Paul is telling Timothy not to follow the culture. By the way, this word partiality... It's a Greek word. It's uh, prosklesis. Prosklesis. It isn't found anywhere else in the New Testament. This is the only place pros prosklesis is used. It's found in some other Greek texts of the day, but it's not found in the Bible. So what, is, what are we talking about when we're saying we, we have to be a counterculture? We're, we're not following the culture of the world that's around us. When we're talking about church leadership, 
which is what Paul's doing here with Timothy. Timothy is leading a uh, group of Christians in Ephesus. A church leader is to be a unifier, not a divider. And when we show favoritism, it ultimately destroys unity. When you're dealing with touchy subjects, like dealing with uh, distribution to widows, dealing with elders in the church, and other similar topics, we need to deal with that with total equanimity. We need to be exactly the same. We can't be showing any preference. We can't be showing any partiality. We can't shift with political winds. We can't cater to personal preferences. We can't cater to anything. We need to simply take what God's Word says and do it. We need to be completely blind to any influences in this world around us in order to keep our hands and our consciences clean in all the decisions that have to be made. And it's difficult to do that. It's very difficult. I come along with, I, believe it or not, I have personal political preferences. I have personal beliefs. And I can't let those things taint what I'm trying to distribute to help you folks. And you can't do this. It's the same thing with you. Verse 22, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Now when Paul speaks here of laying on of hands, there uh, can be several different meanings in God's word. Uh, when Jesus laid hands on people, it was often for healing or for blessing. We see both used throughout the life of Jesus. In Acts, it typically shows that the person who the hands are being laid on was being sanctioned by God to do something, some kind of task or something. We saw Paul lay his hands on the folks in Ephesus who had accepted Christ. These folks that we're dealing with right here, we see that in Acts chapter 19, verse 6. Let's, let's take a look at that, since these are the people we're talking about. Acts 19, 6. Paul lays hands on these very people we're talking to. 19, verse 6. I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm going to rip, rip a verse right out of context. And it says, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, talking about the folks in Ephesus, and the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. Twelve leaders of the, uh, what would be the church at Ephesus. Paul laid his hands on them right here in uh, Acts 19, verse 6. But here, Paul seems to be speaking to Timothy about ordaining new elders in the church at Ephesus. So with that in mind, and remembering the context of what we've been talking about for the last several weeks, it seems that Paul is concerned with Timothy filling the ranks of the church with a whole bunch of yes-men. Make sure that you're not doing that. See, Timothy might be pressured to ordain somebody, or uh, based on his own preferences, or to ordain somebody else's cronies. It happens. There's no place for any of that in the church. There's no place for any of that. Any of this sort of thing violates the call that Paul has just made to impartiality, doesn't it? In uh, chapter 3 and verse 6, let's back up and look, read that again. We saw Paul a warning about appointing somebody too, too soon to the office of overseer. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6. 
talking about the qualifications, he says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. If we appoint somebody too early to the office of an overseer, they can destroy themselves in their own conceit. Use caution here. But here, Paul's warning Timothy in order to protect himself. Did you catch that? Verse 22. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Paul's given an instruction not so that the person he's laying hands on destroys himself in his own conceit, but to protect Timothy. Well, that's different, isn't it? That's different than what we've seen so far. See, to ordain leaders who aren't really qualified is to be a partaker in their sins. Well, he's, he's pretty good. Yeah, he might be a little shady in this particular spot. If you're still taking him, then you're a partaker in his sins. You see? That word uh, partaker, you've probably heard it. Koinoneo, right? To have communion with. We've used it before. It's an extremely common word in the New Testament. It's used to describe active participation in something. We as Christians ought never to be actively participating in the sins of other people. And we're, when we're willing, through our own partiality, to overlook sins, then we're, we might as well be doing them ourselves. Thankfully, Paul gives an alternative. He says, keep thyself pure. You know, not only do you, should you not participate in their sins, but you should keep yourself pure, Timothy. See, Paul's concern is to make sure that Timothy and his team are not compromised by getting in a hurry to ordain somebody who's not completely qualified. See, to act too quickly usually creates more problems than, than it solves. When you jump right in, try to throw something in place too quickly, and the church can't afford that, can it? Verse 23. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine oft infirmities. See, Paul now shows that his concern for Timothy extends even to his personal health. Paul's, Paul's so concerned for Timothy, he's even watching out for his personal health. Now, when I read this advice, I can't help but think back to Paul's statement in uh, chapter 1 and verse 2. When Paul says, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. My own son. See, Paul's about to give Timothy some fatherly advice. Timothy apparently was a sickly person by nature. He says, oh, you're, you're often infirmities. Uh, you're sick all the time, Timothy. You know that. Uh, and Paul describes these often infirmities. And Paul realized that wine had some medicinal value. And he rec recommends it for some apparent uh, digestive disorders. I don't know what his digestive disorders are, but uh, for your stomach's sake, he says. A lot of Mediterranean cultures, even to this day, they have an aperitif and a digestif. Uh, aperitif before dinner, digestif after dinner, to aid in the digestion. It's a common thing, most of the rest of the world. Uh, even when I was in Italy, even at the church where we were sharing a dinner, they passed wine around at the, at the dinner table. It's a common thing. It's when you're irresponsible with alcohol, that's when the trouble comes in. 
Paul's referring here to standard medical practices of the day. You can read the works of Hippocrates, Plutarch, Pliny the Elder. They all recommended just this sort of thing. So Timothy, let's put it into Timothy's particular circumstance. Timothy is serving in the church of Ephesus, right? Church of Ephesus was a troubled church. We've talked about some of the troubles that they had. Worry about the troubles in this church may have caused some of his stomach issues, right? I mean, if I served in the church of Ephesus in the first century, it would have given me ulcers. You folks are easy. Uh, that church would be tough. And Paul realizes that. Timothy, make sure you're paying attention to your own health a little bit here. That's what he's saying there. Verse 24. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Now Paul's trying to encourage Timothy a little bit. He offers a little bit more counsel on the issue of appointing elders that we'd looked at earlier. And Timothy needs to make sure that he's completely above board in all of his dealings here. Also, Timothy needs to take great care in appointing elders so that he doesn't aid and abet their sins by proxy. Remember what we just finished saying. If, if you're overlooking the sins in their lives, then you might as well be part of it. And when you do that, then you're besmirching your own character. Timothy, watch out. See, some misjudgment is inevitable. I'm going to make mistaken judgment. You're going to make mistaken judgment. Oh, I guess I didn't see that coming. That's inevitable. It's going to happen. It can't really be avoided. But if we take care, we can kind of mitigate some of that, and we can avoid some of the common pitfalls just by paying attention to what's going on. Now, if any of this seems to be a weighty task, and it, is, it, ought, to, it ought to appear that way because it is, Timothy needs to remember that it's all ultimately in God's hands. And you know, that's a relief, because everything's still in God's hands today. Everything was in God's hands in first century Ephesus. Everything's in God's hands in 21st century Surrey, New Hampshire. That's quite a relief as you try to guide God's people, because guiding God's people isn't always the easiest thing in the world. So as uh, Timothy deals with these people's lives, he needs to remember that some people's sins are open beforehand. That, what that means is everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. If people are living a life of a recurring pattern of sin, doing the same thing over and over and over, living in it, then it's going to expose itself eventually. It will be found out. And when it's discovered, it's going to result in their own condemnation. See, Paul isn't telling Timothy anything that Timothy doesn't already know. He's just reminding him of a fact that he's already well aware of. But the sins of some other folks follow after, he says. Sometimes they're not detectable until after the fact. We all hear things like that, too, don't we? Uh, even if it seems like they're getting away with something for a while, eventually it will catch up with them. 
no human being ever does. Maybe no human being ever will catch them, but God catches them. So whether sins are visible or whether sins are invisible, they are all known to God, aren't they? Remember what we said early on? Everything you and I do is before God, the Lord Jesus, and the elect angels, isn't it? And that ought to make us consider things. And God will deal with the things that he sees in his wisdom, in his grace, and in his justice. So, Timothy shouldn't be ruining his health, and he shouldn't be derelict in his duties either. But rather, he needs to understand that God has everything in control, and God will take care of things in due time. Don't be working yourself up. Don't be giving yourself ulcers over this, Timothy. It's in God's hands. Don't worry about it. Pay attention. Do your best to mitigate it. But ultimately, it's all in God's control, isn't it? Let's wrap up with verse 25. Likewise also, the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. See, Paul realizes the importance of not harping on the negative. We just finished a a negative verse, 24, talking about the sins. There's sins in these people, and God's going to find it out. That's kind of a negative. But, you know, uh, dealing with sin in the lives of other people is probably the least pleasurable part of any ministry. Nobody wants to deal with sin in somebody else's life. It can be very discouraging. But on the other hand, likewise, the good works of some are manifest beforehand, too. If somebody's always doing great things, if they're doing the right thing all the time, it's going to show in their life in an obvious way, too. Wouldn't you rather have that true in your life? You know, I always see them being helpful, doing this, doing that. Don't you want people to say that? Because that's an option. But even hidden righteous acts are going to receive their final reward. Let's take a look at uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Paul says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Even when you're doing righteous acts in secret, God's watching. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 4, I don't want to, I'm starting to get into Brother Fisher's stomping grounds here. Uh, But Jesus said that your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I'm not going to teach much on that, but that word's right there in uh, Matthew 6 and verse 4. See, Timothy ought to be encouraged by, as Paul's given him this. As long as Timothy continues to do the right thing, God will see to it that justice is served. What a blessing that is, isn't it? And you and I can take that to heart as well. As long as you and I are doing what we are supposed to be doing, doing the right thing, God will take care of measuring everything up and making sure that it's done properly. Make sure we're doing the right thing. That's all I really had. I'm going to wrap up there. Next time when we're together, we're going to look at uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, how slaves ought to respect their masters. But with that being said... 
Brother Fisher, I haven't called on you in quite some time to close us in a word of prayer. Would you mind doing that? Thank you.